All right, well, as I mentioned, Mark preached on money last week, the last two weeks. We are going through the Shepherd series. We are walking through some of the Gospels, looking at what Jesus instructs us, his sheep, with regarding everyday life issues. And Jesus has a ton to teach us in the Scriptures about things that we face every single day. For the next two weeks, we're going to jump into the idea of justice or social justice. And I want to start by looking at this quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, every human being has an innate sense and a natural longing for justice. Whenever you see people quarreling, what is that about? It's not simply about trying to curb another's behavioral tendencies, but it's actually trying to make an argument that you are in the right. We have an innate sense of justice. This is why my kids never fails. They come up to me daily and say, Dad, this isn't fair that Avery got that, or Dad, it's not fair that Judah got that and I didn't get this. Whatever it is, I was trying to think of examples, and just last night it even happened. I, one kid was watching a show while I was cutting the other kid's hair, and the, and the kid whose hair I was cutting and missed the show, I thought, it, Dad, it's not fair that Avery got to watch a show while I had to sit there and have my hair cut, and so now I get a show. You owe me that. And so they're, they're quarreling about what's fair. And early on in our marriage, Brittany and I, we would, we would quarrel over things. Oh, only early on in our marriage. It no longer happens anymore. <laughs> but we would, we would quarrel and we would disagree. And by God's grace, it's gotten less and less. But early on, especially, we, we both wanted to prove that we were right. We were looking at something from a certain perspective and, and we felt entitled to be heard and, and to have justice done on our behalf. If you flip on the news... Our world is in utter chaos and division, and people are crying out for justice. I mean, in the last couple of years, there's been, there's been inner city drama over shootings and lost lives, and the battle cry is justice. We want justice. Now, there's two reasons why we call out for justice. One is because we're sinners by nature and choice. We're broken and we are selfish and we want our way, right? That's one of the reasons why we quarrel and why we fight because we have these sinful, selfish tendencies. But what C.S. Lewis is getting at in this quote is that there's another reason why we quarrel. And it's because God has hardwired us to seek justice, to long for justice, to have the wrong things made right, to have what is broken mended. That is a God-wired thing in us. We are people created in the image of God, created for perf perfection, created for, created for perfection in a way where there isn't even a need for justice because everything is right, and yet we live in this broken world. And so, Internally, we cry out for justice. We long for justice. And the Bible has much to say about justice, as does Jesus. Jesus didn't shy away from this. But what we're going to see this week is that Jesus starts by bringing it internal. When Jesus engages with this idea of justice or social justice, he doesn't first look out politically. He doesn't first look to what is out there. He points us inward. And so this week, we're going to look at the inward call to justice, the inward desire for justice, the inward, the inward answer for justice. And then next week, we'll talk about what does justice actually look like lived out in our communities, through our churches, in our neighborhoods? What does it look like for us to care for the widow, for the broken, for the poor, for the homeless? So next week, we'll talk about how we live justice out. But this week, we're going to look at what justice does for us. In order to do that, I want to read Luke chapter 11. 
verses 37 through 54. So if you could stand as I read this, and it's on page 870 in the Pew Bible. I encourage you to bring your own Bible if you have one. If you don't have one, take that Bible with you. Make it yours. We'll replace it. We want you to get your eyes on God's Word and to hear what God says and how Jesus instructs us about justice. So Luke 11, starting in verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us. Classic Jesus, insulting the religious leaders. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you are blind, for you blind the tombs of the pro- for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build on their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You do not enter yourselves, and you hinder those who are entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to, provide, to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken from heaven and you have spoken from earth. You came as a man, as the man, Jesus Christ, and you instruct us, your sheep. I pray that we would receive these words today from you. I pray that we would take what's from you and discard what's not. And may we be forever changed for your glory, for our good, and for the advancement of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. There's three main observations I want to make from this text this morning as we think about Jesus instructing us on justice. And the first one is that the biblical definition of justice is different from our cultural understanding of justice. The biblical definition of justice is far different from what you're going to see in the news, from what you're going to hear from the different political parties talking about what social justice looks like, and even far different than what you're going to hear from a lot of churches. A lot of churches use the word justice and social justice, but we need to pause and we need to look at the biblical definition of justice. What is justice? Who defines justice? What does true justice mean and look like? And so starting with this text here that we just read, Luke chapter 12, verse 42, Jesus uses the word justice. 
He says, Woe to you Pharisees who tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. He uses the word justice, it's krisis in Greek, and it means a decision or a proper or a right judgment. The biblical language for justice is synonymous with judgment. It it means to make a proper or a right judgment, a clear judgment. It doesn't just mean to do um, good to others as they would perceive it. It means to do what is right and just and good. There's an objective standard for what is right and what is good. And God defines that standard. And so when Jesus uses the term justice, it's crisis, and he's saying, make a proper judgment. That's what justice is. Justice is to make a judgment of what is good and right and true, and to act in accord with that. And so I think that's kind of how culture thinks about justice, right? I mean, we think about where is oppression happening, and in order to do justice, we want to make that right. But culture and individual people, and even individual churches, we define justice differently. What somebody might call a social justice issue, the Bible may not call a social justice issue. Just because somebody claims that it's a social justice issue does not make it that. But it's important for us to know that when Jesus uses the word justice, he is saying it is making a proper or a right judgment. That's how the New Testament speaks of judgment, of justice. It's judgment. And this builds off the Old Testament concept of justice or teaching of justice. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament is mishpat, and it's used over and over again. The Old Testament is deeply steeped in God commanding his people, Israel, to care for the broken, to care for the vulnerable, to care for the sojourner, to care for the widow, to care for the needy. And so in the Old Testament, we're going to look more, next week we'll look more at how we actually do that as a church and what God's call for us to do justice is. We'll look at that next week. But it's important to build this foundation here. What does the term justice mean when we use it? What are we talking about? Jesus in the New Testament means it's to make a proper, right judgment. It's to judge things according to God, not according to the world. And then the Old Testament word, mishpat, is to judge or to govern. A few verses here that I think help us to understand how God defines justice. Look at Zechariah chapter 7. It's on page 795 in the Pew Bible. Zechariah chapter 7, starting in verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Judgments there, that word is mishpat, that is the Greek, that is the Hebrew word for justice. I love how this translation says it and how this says it here. Render true judgments. Render true justice. To do justice is to make a proper godly assessment of a situation and to make a decision or a judgment about the situation based off of God's perspective and God's truth, not personal feelings. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true justice, true judgment, true mispot. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So that's what justice looks like outward. We're going to dive deeper into that next week. But he goes on, verse 11. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts sent by his spirit through the former prophets. 
Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. So God has told us what justice is. Justice is making a true judgment. It is rendering a true judgment about how to treat the mistreated, how to care for the people of the world. God defines justice. It's a choice to do right according to God. And then look at Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 4. It's on page 173 in the Pew Bible. Again, the definition of justice here. I love this verse. It says, The rock, capital R, God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Justice is God. God is justice. God is right. God is true. God is upright. Injustice in, in the Hebrew scriptures, it, it, it kind of taught and it had this idea of crookedness, something that is out of balance, something that is not straight. It is not upright. It's not in balance. And so here this is saying God is upright. He is true. He is stable. He is justice. One more. Look at verse, um, Psalm 89, verse 14. Psalm 89, verse 14, on page 495 in the Pew Bible. It says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. God is justice. The throne that he rules from, the foundation of that throne is justice. The foundation of God's throne is mispot. It's to make a proper judgment of what is right. It's to declare what is good and right and lovely and true and honorable. God is justice. The Bible teaches us that God is justice. Therefore, all true justice flows from him. It's defined by him. It comes from him. God's work, God's word, and God's ways are justice. If we're concerned about social justice and concerned about doing justice, we have to know that God defines justice. God makes the declaration of what is good and right. It's not how you personally feel about a situation. Now, God may give you feelings about a certain injustice that align with his character that he would say that you feel this way, you feel sick, you feel broken when you see this because I've hardwired you to feel that way because that is injustice and you, church, you believer, need to go and do something about that injustice. So if you feel a certain way about an injustice, that may be an indicator that, that God is calling that an injustice and that he's sending you to go and do something about that injustice. But we have to pause and, and remind ourselves that God defines justice, not our feelings. Because we can feel a certain way about a certain thing that culture would call injustice and it's not actually injustice. I'm not going to get into the specifics of what those might be today, but culture calls plenty of things injustices which God says are not. It's not what your particular subculture declares to be right. Most of us run in circles of people who are similar to us. We think the same way, we operate the same way, we work the same type of jobs, we live in the same type of homes, we, we have a similar worldview and we process the world very similarly. Justice isn't what that little subgroup of people that you hang around with 
declare or decide to be right. Nor is justice what cultural majority says is right. Justice is God. God is justice. He defines what is good and right and true. Again, this doesn't mean that cultural cries for justice aren't right. But we need to pause and say, what does God say about justice? He is true justice. He defines justice. If we're ever going to get justice right, we need to start by looking at God, the one who is justice, the one who created the world, and the one who calls injustices according to what they actually are. And he calls us to live with justice. And so point number one, as we look at this text, I just want us to understand what justice is. Jesus uses the word. Let's go back to Luke chapter 11. We're going to stay in there now. Jesus uses the word justice. What does he mean by justice? What does Jesus mean by calling his people to care about justice? Verse 42, woe to you Pharisees. Pharisees were religious leaders. Woe to you, for you tithe mint and root and herb. And so they give away a portion of their income. They give away a tenth of their income. Mark preached on money the last two weeks, did a great job preaching on money and saying that our money is, is a value system which we operate under. And he said if we want to get right with God, we can give, right? And God will align our hearts with that giving. And that is mostly true. But this verse is also showing us that the Pharisees were giving and yet there was something broken in their hearts, their, their, their hearts weren't aligned with, with what they were giving to. They were tithing off of their proceeds to God. And Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees. You give a tenth, for you tithe mint and rue and herb, and you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done. You should have continued to give a tenth. You should have ought to have done this, but without neglecting justice and the love of God. So what does Jesus mean when he uses the word justice, when he tells his followers that you ought to do justice? He's pointing us to God, the Father, the true one, the perfect one, the one who is justice. So that's what we mean when we use the word justice. We define it biblically. We define it through the lens of God's truth, not cultural commonality. The second observation here is that Jesus teaches that true justice starts with the personal and internal, not the political and external. That's really what I want us to walk away from today is seeing that Jesus cares about your heart. Jesus cares about what's going on inside of you. So many Self-proclaimed justice warriors. Have you heard this term, social justice warriors? It's kind of a tag on people who are, are all out there concerned about the injustices of the world, and that's good. We should. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means for us to care about injustice. But Jesus, he doesn't start there. He points it inward. He says, yes, you flip on the news, you look out in the communities, and you see injustices. There is racial inequality. There is social, socioeconomic inequality. There is advanced people rich taking advantage of the poor. There is mistreatment of the widow. There is mistreatment of the sojourner or the refugee, and it's all around us. And Jesus is saying, you ought to care about that. If you are a genuine follower of Christ... You will care about that because God is a God of justice and he made all people equal and he cares. That's next week. But before before we start pointing our finger at the injustice of the world, Jesus turns it on us and he says, 
before you can do anything effective towards the injustices in the world, you've got to figure out what's going on in your heart. Because true justice starts internally. It's personal. You can't do any eternal good in the outside injustices of the world if internally you are not right with God. Look at how Jesus says this to the Pharisees. Again, the Pharisees are the religious leaders. Verse 37, we'll walk through this. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Now, this doesn't mean that he went and he ate with dirty hands. He did proper personal hygiene before he ate dinner. But the Pharisees had built all of these extra laws around the Old Testament law and around personal hygiene to, to, to try and not even get close to breaking God's laws. So they had added on all these certain type of laws. It's like sometimes when we add in certain dress codes into the church or certain styles of worship or we, we kind of take our personal preferences or what feels right to us and we add it in and there's nowhere in Scripture that gives us a dress code for how to attend church. This is what the Pharisees are doing. They're adding things in that God hasn't given them. They're, they're adding in all these extra laws. And so the Pharisee notices that Jesus didn't follow their man-made rules and laws. And Jesus said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup. And so they had all these extra washings for their, for their hands and also for their dishes. They have all this extra stuff to do. You Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Inside you are full of greed and wickedness. He's saying, externally, you do a lot of good. You follow God's law, and in fact, you put extra law onto God's law, and, and, and then you give. Look at verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and herb, so they give back to God. They care about certain injustices in the world. They know that they can't, they can't live on money, and so they give away their income to the Lord, and they clean the outside of the cup. They do the law of the Lord to a great extent. They do this external stuff extremely well. I mean, the, the Pharisees and the lawyers, they were so good at external religion. How many times when we think about social justice do we think about external stuff? What do we got to do? Who do we have to serve? Who's not doing it? Who's not serving? What's out there broken that we need to go do? And Jesus turns it on the heart first. And he says, you can do all of that external outside stuff. He calls the Pharisees fools, but you fools. Verse 40. Did not he who made the outside he who's overseen all the injustices of the world also make the inside. Does he not care about your heart? But give as alms those things that are within you and behold, everything is clean for you. I love that. Give as alms, give away, give back to the Lord, not a tenth, not a tithe. I mean, he says, yes, do that. But that's not primary. First of all, give as alms, give back to the Lord what's inside of you. Allow the internal person that you are to be transformed. Give up your internal judgment. Give up your internal, um, your, your, your personal security and, and the things that you value internally. Give that up to the Lord. And behold, everything is clean for you. When Jesus talks about justice, he's not looking at all the things of the world and saying, you Christians, you better get now, he does say that. We're going to get into that next week. 
But before we can get there, he says, you, Christian, look inside. You who claim to follow me, search your heart. You who claim to follow me, have you given your alms from within back to the Lord? Is your heart soft to God? Give, verse 42, and he he gives a woe to the Pharisees. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe, you give, and neglect justice and the love of God. So before we can care about external justice, we have to assess and search our own hearts. What have we done about justice as it's defined by God and the love of God? Do we cling to God's love for us? Do we trust God's love for us? Or do we try and do external justice initiatives to try and cause God or make God love us more? What's our motivation for caring? Jesus is saying, don't, you can do all the external things, but if your heart is hard towards God, if you neglect true justice, and if you neglect God's love, if you go out to do good things looking to be loved by God, you don't get it. These you ought to have done, you ought to have given, you ought to have served without neglecting the others, the love of God. He gives three woes to the Pharisees. One is they're giving without caring. That's verse 42. Verse 43, they have pride of recognition and status. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. You're doing all this external good and inward it's making you proud. You love the recognition of doing good. One, because your hearts are wrong and you're thinking God's pleased with you because of your good works. And two, you love other people affirming the good that you've done. And he says, that's not how it's to operate. True justice is to receive the love of God and to do what he calls us to do, not to seek recognition, not to try and prove to God the Father that we're worthy of being loved. And then the third woe is in verse 44. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. In the Old Testament law, if you walked over, an, over a grave, it made you unclean. And even an unmarked grave, if you were to walk over an unmarked grave, it made you unclean. And so Jesus is saying that the Pharisees are like that. They are leading people astray with their, with their wrong judgments, with their injustice, their internal injustice, their internal wrong judgments of others and their internal pride of themselves. You are leading people astray without knowing it. Woe to you Pharisees. And then he, he goes on to give a, a condemnation of the, of the lawyers. Verse 45. One of the lawyers asked him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us. I just, well, pause. Isn't that great? I mean, Jesus didn't mince his words. He didn't come to win friends and influence people. He came to point people back to God, the author of life, the the one who understands justice, the one who cares about the broken, the one who cares about the hurting, the one who cares about the orphan and the widow. And he knows that if we have any chance of caring for them, we need to get right internally. We can go to a soup kitchen all we want. We can give all the money we want. We can do all of these good social justice works all that we want. But if we're not right internally, it will make no difference. In fact, it will create more pride and more division and and more um, kind of pity charity rather than genuine biblical love. And so Jesus says to the lawyers, Woe to you lawyers, verse 46, 
For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burden with your own, one of your own fingers. You, you write out the law. You tell the people what they should do, and you don't do any of it yourself. I know many of you, church, that's not you. You're incredible people who are working for justice because you have a love for God. Praise God for that. But we need to make sure that we don't gloss over that because it's very easy and our culture is full of people like this who, who write out, that whether it's on social media or whether in conversations, they know what's good and right. They're calling out the injustices of the world, but they're not lifting a finger to touch it themselves. And even when they do lift a finger to care about the injustice of the world, sometimes they're doing it from pride or from pity for the poor rather than genuine love and care for the poor. And so Jesus is giving a woe to the lawyers. You explain what's good and right, but you don't do it yourselves. Verse 47, he gives another woe. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. What he's saying here is that the prophets came to point you to Jesus the Messiah, and you haven't repented. You haven't acknowledged Jesus as the only true Savior of life. You are still piling up law. You are piling up social justice initiatives. You are, you are trying to earn God's favor. You are trying to earn salvation. You are building the tombs of the prophets, the one who pointed you to Jesus the Messiah, and you are just going in the same tradition of seeking the law rather than God's grace through the person of Jesus Christ. And then he gives them a third woe. He says, you interpret the scriptures for law, not for salvation. Verse 52. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the keys of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hinder those who were entering. The keys of knowledge, that's pointing to Jesus, the Savior, the one who saves us by grace, not by law, not by good works. He's saying you continue to look at religious rules thinking that that will save you. You continue to look at good works thinking that that will save you, and you're pointing other people to do good works. You're pointing other people to fulfill religious law, and you're leading them away from the keys of knowledge, which is to understand, to see, and to Savior Jesus Christ, the Savior. And so Jesus is pointing us inward, church. He's saying if, if we want to care for the refugee, if we want to care for the vulnerable, for the poor, for the disenfranchised, for the broken, for people who we are not like and they are not like us and they are hurting and vulnerable and weak, if we want to do that, we have to first look inward. We have to do the inward work of transformation outward acts of justice do not accomplish their God-intended goal if we don't have inward justice. If God hasn't made us right, if we've resisted his call, if we've resisted his transformation, if we've rejected his son Jesus, it doesn't matter what we do outward, it's never going to cleanse our conscience. It's never going to make us feel right and good before a holy God and it's not actually going to contribute to a good society. Even though we may have a good intent, 
We're not able to accomplish what God would want us to accomplish in the world for his glory because we are sick inside. And so the third observation is that Jesus is justice. Jesus is our justice. If we want to care about the brokenness in the world, we need to cling to and savor Jesus, the Savior. Look at verse 40 again. He says, You fools, did not he who made the outside also make the inside? God, the one who created it all, he created all things and he sees the outside. He sees the external. He knows about the brokenness. He knows what it will take to fix it. He created all things. But didn't he also make your inside? Before you can go far, you need to come near. Before you can look to the brokenness of the world and do anything about the brokenness of the world, you need to look at the brokenness of your heart and get right with God. And he says, give as alms those things that are within. Give yourself back to the Lord. Give him your internal everything. Give him your heart. Give him the right to be king of your life. Dethrone yourself and put him on the throne. He is just. His foundation, the foundation of his throne is justice. And so give yourself to him. Give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. All things that you do in the way of now seeking justice, if you are right with the Lord, it's all clean, it's all good, it's all effective. It will all work to restore to this earth the kingdom of God. So church, if we want to care about others, we need to get right internally, seeing that Jesus is our true justice. We're not right with God on our own. So Jesus comes as our justice and he makes us right. He is our justification. We are justified before a holy God because Jesus, the only true, righteous, perfect one, the only just one, came, lived the life that we can't, a perfect life, a right life, a just life, caring about every brokenness perfectly. He lived that life for us in our place. I don't know about you, but there's many times where I see brokenness in the world and I just don't have time. I don't care. I don't care. Why? Because I'm a Pharisee, a fool, who does some good works, but I neglect justice as God declares it and his love for me and my love back for him. And so if we want to get that right, If we want to to be a people who change the world for the glory of God, we have to cling to Jesus, the just one, the one who presents us before God the Father as right. We are justified by him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness and justice go hand in hand in the scriptures. He who knew no sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, who lived the perfect, right, just life, became sin. He took our injustice upon himself that we might now become the righteousness of God, that we might become the perfection of God, that we might be made right, that God might cause us to stand up straight before him and to do his work with holy purposes And so church, next week we're going to dive into what it looks like for us to actually get involved and engaged in our communities in the world and to do justice. 
for the glory of God. But this week, assess where are you with Jesus? Have you been working on cleaning the outside of the cup at the expense of doing the internal work? Have you been giving your mint and your rue and your, what is the other one, dill? Herbs? Probably not. I don't think anyone comes to church and brings mint and rue and herbs. But you give other things. You give your time, you give your talents, you give your treasures. That's good. Keep doing that, as Jesus would say. But don't neglect justice and the love of God. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become his righteousness. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and that you are our justice. We're not made right with God because we do a bunch of good things. And Lord, I, I find hope and comfort in that because I often do the wrong thing. And in that I'm forgiven, in that I am justified. And now, Lord, I pray that that truth wouldn't cause us to be lazy people who say, hey, we're forgiven whether we do good or not because Jesus is just that good. And that's truth. But I pray that in that we wouldn't become lazy and we wouldn't turn a blind eye or we wouldn't turn our back to the brokenness of the world. For you created the world and the people in the world and your heart breaks for the broken and you have empowered us and sent your spirit upon us to go and do something about it. So Lord, I pray that next week you would guide us into talking about what that actually looks like, how we can actually contribute to bringing this world back into order and making it right with you. But here now today, Lord, I pray that each one of us in this room would be made right with you or be reminded that we are right with you. Oh, how we need that reminder, Lord Jesus. So meet us now where we're at. Lead us to where you desire us to be in your presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.